Precision farming are buzzwords among many in farming at the moment. There's still too many farmers out there flat rating or just making manual adjustments as they're driving up and down fields. What does it mean? How does it all work? Chris Mason is from the Soil Department of Precision Decision and we'll find out how it all works and how yields may benefit more from Chris later in the programme. And we must touch on the subject of the weather. Yet again, many fields underwater thanks to the work of Dennis and Kira and struggling to recover from one week to another at the moment, never mind the longer term. We'll talk to Lincolnshire farmer Robert Borrell in a moment about one financial scheme that may be able to help, but it has its flaws. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Now first, let me say a formal hello. I'm Steve Orchard, your new host of the Farming Programme, and delighted to be so. And enormous thanks and, of course, best wishes to Sean Dunderdale as he heads off to pastures new, if you'll pardon the dreadful pun. Uh, let me reassure you, though, that despite Sean's departure, the Farming Programme will continue, just with a different voice, to look at what's new, what's topical, what's making the news, what's important in the industry. I would love to have your input into that. I'd love to hear your stories, your experiences, your news and views, and I'll give you the contact details at the end of the programme. First, though, there's been an announcement from government this week on their plans for post-Brexit immigration and of particular importance to our industry, the restrictions on the ability of, quote, low-skilled workers to get work visas. How would this affect salad and fruit growers, for instance? And the NFU president, Minette Batters, has already raised serious concerns about the failure to recognise the needs of British food and farming. And we'll be discussing that in more detail on next week's programme. Now, let's get a potato update from Colin Jackson from PJP Potatoes. Colin, hello. Is there much happening in the potato world at the moment? Yeah, morning. Um, Trade at the moment is quite slow. Um... Still some crop left in the ground, you know, from last season. Um, people are looking to try and get started planting, but the weather's holding that back. So it's all a little bit miserable at the moment in this foot world, to be honest with you. We're still working on last season's crop. Um, so the majority of which was lifted and put into store back in sort of, you know, between really sort of August and, uh, and November. Um, but there was a certain amount of crop that was overwintered. Um, talk of up to sort of 20% of the crop was left in the ground, so quite a quite a reasonable amount, um, which actually led to you know higher prices through the uh, through the autumn and, and into the winter, um, and it's been very much led by that thought of the crop left in the ground is what's caused these higher prices. Um, if the crop comes out in reasonable condition, which could still happen, um, then we could see prices come under a bit further pressure. Um, but, you know, on the flip side to that, you know, we're still in the winter. It could still come very cold yet um, and it could make a mess of what's left in the ground. Weather-wise, ideally, what are you looking for over the next couple of months? Well, we certainly need ground temperatures to start to uh, to warm up and, of course, we need to stop raining. Um, we, you know, with those two conditions sort of coming right for us, plantings will get started relatively soon. I mean, at the moment, you know, the very first earlies, people will look to get into the ground any time from around now onwards on a normal um, growing season. Um, but obviously conditions are no good for that at the moment. Um, but they will be itching to have a go with the very first earlies uh, shortly. Um, and then sort of going forward from there, um, yeah, we're, we're looking for some some dry weather um, and uh, as I say ground temperatures warming up and if we if we did get a, a frost which is always possible this time of year isn't it 
Yeah, I mean, at the moment, the only thing it will really affect um, in our area is the crop that's left in the ground that's overwintered. Um, and if we got a sharp frost, it would make a real mess of what's left, you know, with how waterlogged the land is. Um, there's only probably half a crop left in the ground because what's in the bottom of the uh, of, of the balks will have rotted away uh, due to waterlogging. What's at the top will have probably uh, rotted away through, you know, a little bit of frosting that we've had. So, um, so there is a percentage of the crop that's still good, that's in the middle, um, that will be harvested uh, when the conditions come right. But uh, if we got a real sharp frost going forward, then it would make a mess of what's left there. Um, the other thing that is happening around and about is there is some plantings being done down in Cornwall for instance and Pembrokeshire um, it's starting to do uh, a little bit of planting and of course they won't want some real sharp frosts on that for uh, for exactly the same reason. So as pretty much the same as everybody else I guess some nice dry weather for a few weeks. That's it. I think that's what we all need, isn't it? Colin Jackson of PJP Potatoes. And we'll stay in the field and get our weekly update from Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Morning, Sean. How was the Scottish Agronomy Conference then? Yes, good morning, Steve. Uh, Welcome aboard. I'm looking forward to working with you, sir. I believe your tenure is 15 years, isn't it? And then doesn't Eddie Shaw take over unless Sean Dunderdale comes back? I'm not sure which happens. But look, um, God bless you and all who sail in you. And I wish you all the very, very best of luck. You've got my support wholeheartedly. Um, So, yes, I was. I was up in Scotland. I was up north of Edinburgh in Perth at the Scottish Agronomy Conference. We've been trying to get up there for several years. I've been asked to go for the last six or seven years. And this year, the planets finally came into alignment so I trotted up there on Tuesday and I have to say once you get to Newcastle I was green with envy because there are field after field of winter wheat, winter barley, winter oats, winter rye, all seed rape. Everything looks absolutely fantastic up there. They've got some standing water as well, but they've managed to have most of their autumn crops pushed into the ground. And I'm absolutely green with envy. You know, it must be great to live in a country where it doesn't rain all the time. And it was nice to get somewhere where that was the case. In fact, I'm looking forward to the summer because the rain will be the, just that little bit warmer, as we all know. Um, we could get a lot of winter yet by by the way, so let's not joke and be too frivolous about these things. But what I was trying to say to them um, in my piece at the conference was that the total land area in Scotland is 7.8 million hectares, and of that, 5.7 million hectares is agricultural land. And I think Scotland are the key to the government reaching this carbon neutral target by the year 2050 because of their landscape and because of what they have up there and that is because 73% of the area is agricultural as I've said but 53% of that is rough grazing, 25% of that is other grassland, 12% is woodlands, ponds, locks, yards farm buildings etc and only 10% is the land that they grow crops or fallow on now 75% of the crops they grow in Scotland are cereals and 68% of that or 200 190,000 hectares or so is barley. Now the reason that's significant is because down here in in Lincolnshire and Yorkshire, South Yorkshire and Nottinghamshire and Oxfordshire and Cambridgeshire, we haven't got a lot of winter crop in the ground because it's been so wet since the 23rd of September. We haven't had any opportunities to go and now the land is so saturated and slumped, we're struggling to get any crops in at all at the moment and I know it'll take three or four good weeks of warm, sunny, hot, dry, windy weather to dry this land 
land into any condition to get much more in the ground because of what we've just received over the last few days. But there is likely to be an awful lot of spring barley going in the ground this spring in this part of the world. And that's going to impact on two things, not only the price in Scotland, but also the price in the UK. That is why it is going to be so important for people to grow for good, high quality product. Quantity we're not going to be short of. Quality we may be. So grow it for quality because that is the market you're likely to make the most money out of. And that is the market you're most likely to be able to sell it into hopefully we will have an export market so if you grow quality it's likely to get exported for the the whiskey market and other markets around the world off the back of that quality but quality is key now as well as all that barley they grow 110,000 hectares of winter wheat they grow 27,500 hectares of potatoes 20,000 hectares of fruit and vegetables and things Um, they also grow for the time being 31,000 hectares of all seed rape and seeing full fields of rape is something I haven't seen much of this autumn and this spring so far so field after field of rape up there but I give them three to five years if those cabbage stem flea beetle with their resistance start moving up the east coast looking for all seed rape because I can't see us growing all seed rape for an awful lot longer after what we've witnessed this year but the other thing with Scotland is this 2.12 million hectares of Scotland is the highland 34% of that land area the Grampians 11% Tayside 10% 37% of all the highlands is grass and rough grazing 37% is woodland so the landscape up there absolutely lends itself to carbon sequestration and carbon storage. So Scotland actually hold the key to sequestering all the carbon and getting the government to that 2050 carbon neutral status. So, I'm, you know, I'm very impressed by the people up there, the farmers up there, their attitude to agriculture. And the conference was over attended. They had to get chairs from outside because it was standing room only. They do a very, very good job up there. And it was a pleasure to be a part of it. So back to the more mundane, not an awful lot of agronomy to talk to you about, to be quite honest with you, Steve. Um, nothing's really changed on last week. We had a lot more rain. We've got no drilling done. The fields are still slumped. The water still stands out there. Also, seed rate starting to move is it the right time to put a fungicide on all seed rate i don't think it is not in these conditions your fungicide is not going to give you the most back the disease levels remain relatively low but that cabbage stem flea beetle is moving so get out there with your knife cut the plants open and see if you've got an issue and don't waste money on crops which are going to pack up and die by the middle of april winter wheat winter barley bit of nitrogen going on now's the time to get that urea used when it warms up and temperatures get into double figures you start to get volatilization and you lose it that's when you need to switch back into ammonium nitrate. And remember the non-compliances, drying, driving through standing water in a field. If you're seen doing that, the last thing you need in a year like this is some weary willy to come and take money off you and take 3% of your single farm payment because you've done a non-compliance and you've driven through standing water. So we could still get quite a bit of winter yet. I don't think we're out of winter. We're certainly not out of the woods as far as the wet fields go. But let's see what the next seven days bring because the, the blackbirds and the thrushes are up there at six in the morning singing their little heart out. So hopefully they know something that we don't. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Chris Mason from Precision Decision is uh, with us to discuss a little bit about precision farming. How does it all work, Chris? We start from the ground up with uh, soil sampling and scanning uh, in, in a zone or hectare basis from which we can then produce plans and move them forward. Yeah. And there is real potential on the farm, isn't there? Some have maybe still haven't grassed yet? Yeah, there's a great deal of potential. Uh, there's far too many, there's still too many farmers out there flat rating or 
just making manual adjustments as they're driving up and down fields. That's yeah. it. Is, is it down to the money or is it you know reluctant to change amongst some in the industry perhaps or is it the fact that they're scared to dip their toe in the water because they think they might be out of pocket when actually the benefits are there aren't they? Well the benefits are there. I would say now you know that the majority of larger farms have definitely gone down this route. It's pulling on the smaller farms on board in a kind of cost effective fashion. So talk us through what you're doing here at the Midlands Machinery Show. Good, good sized display here in the uh, in, in, in the, the, the shed that you're in yeah. um, at, at the moment and you've got various uh, products that you're promoting certainly from my sat yeah. as you say you talked about the, uh, the the yield mapping as well yeah there's a movement away from uh, just sampling at one hectare points to what we call targeted sampling before you can do that you need some underlying data uh, and the, one of the easiest ways to pick up on that is to get fields scanned uh, and from that we can do target sampling uh, we can include yield data end uh, sensor data and produce not just variable rate application plans but variable rate seed plans so that's that side of it we have a platform that helps us do that then this is a piece of technology the RRN sensor uh, which Precision Decisions have been working alongside Yara with for, for many years now we're the agents for the end sensor and this is live variable rate nitrogen application to the field uh, which still has uh, many advantages over satellite based imagery to, to produce those variable rate nitrogen uh, maps. Uh, the big one being that satellite imagery, we've got a lot of cloud cover issues and you get uh, compromises uh, introduced because of hedges and trees and things like that which the end sensor avoids and we've probably got best part of 240 end sensors out across the UK so it's a proven technology, it works well uh, and Yara have spent many years developing not just the hardware, the important side of it is the software. Uh, the research and development that they've done is invaluable in terms of the algorithms that run on the screen. It's not just a generic nitrogen application algorithm, it's tailored to crops and timings and all the rest of it. And as you say, this is the future, isn't it? I mean, and, and you can really gain benefits from investing in this kind of technology. Now. It's a scalable thing. It's, it's all dependent on the size of the farm. But yield, it's all about yield increases. Um, and it's an incremental thing. Uh, and the yield increases that you get from these may, may sound modest at around about 4 or 5%. But if you're a big farm, that's, it's big numbers. Uh, and, and, you know, on, a, on an arable farm, it's, it's well worth doing. And um, even the end sensor technology now is usable on, um, on grassland farms. We have a specific grassland algorithm that produces very, very good results for those kind of farmers. So yeah, there's a, there's a, there is an investment cost in terms of the rental, uh, which is how most end sensors go out. But this year, with the RDP grants have been available, and, that's, and it will be again next year, and that gives a, a 40% um, grant towards the, the purchase of the kit. So, and then PD, we go out, install it, fit the tractor up or the sprayer, train the guys up and support them through the year. Uh, so it works well, you know. You said it works obviously particularly for, for the, the larger farms and getting into the smaller farms is kind of the, the, the next stumbling block, if you like, or the next thing that you're trying to achieve. How can you make it more cost effective for those smaller farms? How can you convince those smaller farms to, to come on board? There are different levels of end sensor that are available, uh, depending on what you want to do. <laughs> this this one that we're looking at now is the is the newest end sensor, and that's not cheap. And it wouldn't 
be practical on a smaller farm. Uh, but we do have some we do have some used equipment, some of the older passive end sensors that there are good deals on just to buy outright, and they are uh, quite affordable by a smaller farm. Uh, we're only talking two or three thousand pounds to to get into one of the second hand kits. That'll soon pay itself back on a small grassland farm. You know, two or three years down the road, and or even less than that, they'll be uh, they'll they'll be in profit on that piece of kit. So there are ways in. We'll return to the subject of precision farming in the very near future and take a look at some equipment and technology that could soon make all this much easier and more cost-effective, as well as some very interesting work that's being carried out on the subject by Lincoln University. What's your experience of precision farming? Have you tried it? How did you find it? What were the cost implications? Email me if you'd like to have a chat. Address coming up at the end of the programme. Now, just for a change, let's return to the weather. So many farmers in our area and across the country have been the subject of what some say are unprecedented levels of rainfall. However, they seem to be becoming more precedented. Uh, There's assistance available, even if you don't have a crop in the field that's been lost. But it's not without flaws. Robert Borrell farms near Brig. Tell us a little bit about this flood recovery fund, Robert. Well, the government has announced that there's a huge pot of money for people who have been affected by flooding, um, things that haven't been insurable. So we've been trying to apply for the flood recovery fund because we had 250 acres of land underwater, completely submerged last autumn, and I don't really know whether we're going to get back onto that land. Um, The fund is really meant to be there to sort of help repair the damage done by the flooding. And how do you actually get access to that fund? Is it a, a straightforward process? You've got to jump through numerous hoops to get it? Well, initially I thought it was a straightforward process. There's an application form on the government website. Um, I spent the last two week- weekends trying to fill the forms in, but I keep uh, getting emails back with lots of answers. So it's probably these, another of these government schemes where, oh, they announced there's a huge pot of money, but, you know, you'll never be able to access it because it's absolutely impossible. It needs to be an easy scheme that people can access to get the money to rectify all the damage that's done by the flooding last autumn. And what will that compensate you for? Will it be for the loss of the crop? No, it won't be for the loss of the crop. Uh, Fortunately, we didn't have anything planted in those fields, but all that weight of water has completely ruined the structure of the soil. So we need to do cultivation practice to aerate the soil, and also we've lost millions of earthworms, so we need to do some remedial work to make sure that they can recover and get those back again. How do you replace those worms? Well, I think we need to get some uh, air back into the water, and hopefully, you know, uh, if there's any earthworm eggs there, you know, they may may rehatch. But you know, it's going to take a long time. I mean, this flooding has has, has absolutely decimated the biodiversity in our our watercourse. I mean, people always talk about things like voles, etc., and 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 birds. But I mean, with thousands of acres of land in Lincolnshire underwater, I dread to think what the toll has been on our wildlife. Speaking to Sean Sparling the other day, he reminded me that 25, 30 years ago, payment was offered for land that floods in Lincolnshire. And at the time, claimants were offered the choice of a lump sum payment up front or payment as and when the land floods. Given that back then, land was expected to flood once every 35 years on average. Most went, understandably, for the one-off payment. Now, such lands flooding so much more frequently. Indeed, some land near Auburn that uh, Sean looks after has flooded nine out of the last 11 years, including twice last year. Maybe it's time for a rethink. I'll have this week's dedicated weather forecast as usual at the end of the programme. 
But first, let's get this week's grain prices and market news from Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Morning, Kit. How Morning, are you Steve. then? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thank you very much indeed. How's things going? You're going very well, thank you. Yes, the wheat market on Wednesday, the AHB DB released their early bird survey results for the February rerun. The estimated figures were released on the planted area for all crops of the UK. Wheat has been the main focus, given the poor autumn and winter drilling period that we've had. The survey suggested there was a total of 1,504,000 hectares of wheat drilled, which is a 17% reduction year-on-year for the UK. Looking closer to home for Lincolnshire, the AHDB have estimated a 60, 62% of the East Midlands area is drilled. The immediate thoughts of many have been that this is a high estimation, given the numbers of fields still not drilled. It is also worth noting that even though there, are, there is some wheat in the ground, the yield potential has been reduced, given the late drilling and the weather conditions that have not been conducive to a good, growing, healthy crop. Two other main figures of note have been the 47% increase in barley and a 50% increase in arable fallow. The increase of both of these areas is on the back of the reduction of winter wheat. The AHDB figures released have been have not have not sorry had a huge effect on the prices yet once the trade has had time to digest the figures we will probably see more price movement next week declining world wheat and maize prices and a slightly stronger post brexit pound have encouraged huge imports of maize and quality wheat into the uk to date in addition to our own 16.2 million ton crop we have imported 552,000 tons of wheat and 1.25 million tons of maize whilst exporting 841,000 tonnes of wheat. This gives us a total UK figure of 17.26 million metric tonnes thus far, against an annual usage of approximately 14.8 million tonnes. There has been little to no drilling done this week after the inch of rain we had at the weekend and lots of showers this week. The general consensus is that winter wheat drilling is now over. Moving on to barley, Lincolnshire has been one of the worst affected areas in the country weather-wise and therefore our barley area is estimated to increase by 149% by on area year on year. But this is worth investigating whether it is the best option to put barley in or whether you should be drilling another crop. Beans, internally, there has been no change on demand all season for the feed millers or compounders. Spot export demand into Egypt for feed, the trend has been building over the last two years keeps popping up plants in the process to find cheaper beans and buying human consumption is hard. Although we do still have human consumption demand in the UK, we are struggling to find significant volumes to market. So moving on to prices this week, for February feed wheat is 146 to 148, for March 150 to 152, May 152 to 154. November new crop, slight rise and carry in the market 158 to 160. Milling premiums are £23 to £25. Pounds. Oil seed rate for February is 320 to 322 March 322 to 323 May 323 to 325 November, slight drop to 311 to 313 Feed barley prices, February 123 to 125 March 125 to 126 May 127 to 129. Limited carry going forward to November new crop 126 to 128. Malting premiums are currently 5 to 7 pounds for the very best samples. Beans for May 218 and November going forward a drop into new crop at 176. Human consumption premiums are 10 pounds for winters and 20 pounds for springs. There's Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming Programme. 
five-day forecast. A little bit of rain around today, but easing off later in the day. Quite breezy with some gusty wind, mostly from the west. And fairly mild today with temperatures up to 12 Celsius. Cloudy and wet on Monday, winds gusting over 40 miles per hour from the southwest, highs of 10 degrees. Much the same but drier Monday night into Tuesday, which stays breezy with fewer strong gusts. May see some wintry showers overnight into Wednesday. Winds staying westerly, mostly dry but colder on Wednesday. Highs no more than 5 or 6 and Thursday, with the winds backing to southerly and easing off a little. And the latter part of the week shows potential for more wet, windy weather. A little bit warmer towards the weekend. Now, at the start, I said I'd love to hear from you. And I meant it. Not just now, but any time. I'd like you to share your stories, your experiences, your ups, your downs, your suggestions, your advice, maybe even the lighter side of life on the farm. You can email me, farming at linksfmgroup.co.uk. That's farming at linksfmgroup.co.uk or tweet at Farming Show. I'm Steve Orchard. Have a great farming week.